basic comfortably. Good evening, everyone. I assume many of you um, would already have heard the news that um, the very beloved um, Vietnamese then teacher Thich Nhat Hanh um, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I'll read you just directly the announcement from um, his uh, Sangha, the International Plum Village Community of Engaged Buddhism announces that our beloved teacher Thich Nhat Hanh passed away peacefully at Tu Hue Temple in Hue, Vietnam on the 22nd of January 2022, aged 95. Um, the passing of a, of a great life. And so I just would like to say um, a few words in, in recognition of his teaching um, as a Dharma talk tonight. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh wasn't one of my um, personal teachers, um, or the meeting ones, which I'll come to, um, but he's been a beloved and revered teacher of um, um, many people in this group through his words, and in particular, um, Coral Miles is a, a good friend and Sangha member to many of us who ran a, ran a Thich Nhat Hanh um, uh, group for many years in Sydney and I'm sure is still inspired by his uh, teaching in the group she, she runs in in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So he's touched the hearts of um, many different people. Um, I only um, knew him as a teacher really except for the one time I did a retreat with him um, through his words, through his books. But I always found when I wanted to get um, a clear, authoritative teaching on, on Buddhist teaching, he was the go-to person I went to, particularly his book, um, Heart of Buddhist Teachings, which sums up a lot of different, very com sometimes very complex theories in, in terms which are very simple to understand. And uh, some of the things that highlight his teaching style, um, the word into being, you know, which is really just a simple English word to describe the more complex um, Buddhist theory of um, in interdependent co-arising. The word into being was just a simple word that really expressed, uh, expressed the essence of all Buddhist teaching. You know, that the, it's the interconnectedness between all beings and all things and the, the realisation of that and the embodiment of that is at the core of this teaching. And he's also was described as the father of mindfulness. Um, mindfulness was a very, very, um, very central to his core teachings as a very, you know, practical way of approaching life and uh, and what was inspiring about his teaching of mindfulness and as we know mindfulness has now become very popular in a secular clinical setting but the way that Thich Nhat Hanh taught mindfulness um, was truly within the, the whole context of Buddhism. Um, he didn't water down Buddhism, he didn't leave parts out 
um, it was all inclusive in his teaching as a very holistic kind of practice. And uh, that's another wonderful part about it. The, one of the things that's also significant about Thich Nhat Hanh, which we may take for granted in the West, is that he was at the forefront of what's referred to as engaged Buddhism. And um, his, his critique, if that's maybe too strong a word, of, of Asian Buddhism is that it was very monastic, just do your own practice, focus on those close to you and family and, and local community, but didn't have a, a broader perspective on, on global issues. You know, war, global warming, extinction of wildlife, all of those kind of issues that still concern us today. And it must be remembered that he grew up in the era of the Vietnam War and um, showed an enormous amount of courage and bravery in the position that he took, where he tried to be a, a mediator for both sides, but ended up the Buddhist monks often got attacked from both sides for trying to play that mediation role. Um, in Buddhist terms, um, we often hear the words loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, etc as a way of describing um, the characteristics that we aspire to in life. Um, we don't often hear the word courage, but Thich Nhat Hanh not only embodied loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity, he also embodied great courage in the work that he did, particularly during those um, life-threatening years during the Vietnam War. And there's a story of him and some other monks who paddled their canoes up um, a river in Vietnam. And on each side of the river in the jungles were the opposing armies of the South Vietnamese army and the Viet Cong. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh and his fellow monks paddled up in their canoes with medicine and food to reach an isolated village that had be, been cut off and paddled up through the two armies on each side. Fortunately, um, returned again. Um, one assumes their, their, their neutrality and their, their bravery was respected by both sides. But that's the kind of person that he was. And um, he inspired so many people that um, the late um, Martin Luther King um, actually nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. He didn't actually win it that year, but he was put up as a, as a nominee by someone who um, was also considered a, a great humanitarian. So it's a, it's a measure of, the, of the, uh, the embodied sense of interbeing um, that Thich Nhat Hanh had, that he became such a beloved and renowned teacher. Um, I met him uh, when he ran a retreat. I was working out when it was, but it would have been, I'm pretty sure, in the 1980s um, at Baradu near Barrel, uh, where we used to do a, a, a session each year with Robert Aitken Roshi. And Thich Nhat Hanh came independently to Australia and did a number of retreats um, during that time. And I, I remember him um, as being he did have a, a, a real quiet 
luminous presence to him in a very simple kind of way. And he did seem to very much embody kindness and equanimity in particular in his demeanour. And I remember he ran a group discussion as as part of the retreat. It wasn't all meditation, but but a group discussion. And for some reason he kept um, asking me on my opinions on various things, but he did with other people. He tried to draw everyone out. He was like a good... It was kind of like he was a good school teacher or group therapist. He really drew everyone out rather than just giving his own opinions. But what I remember, um, I have to laugh looking back on, on that time, he was talking about the, um, the teaching of um, smiling, you know, um, importance of smiling and smiling when you meditate in and, and everyday life. And I remember as a a young psychologist, I, I, I challenged him on it and said, you know, I thought that people needed also to be um, authentic and express what, a, what, what feeling is authentically there rather than trying to make up a feeling. And um, he, he listened quite, quite um, non-judgmentally and absorbed it and came back with his own view again. But I remember it as being a, um, a, an enjoyable exchange. And to follow through that story, um, at one point during the lunch break, I think it was, um, I was just walking down a corridor and I, and I just suddenly walked around and he was in front of me coming the other way. And, um, and he, he bowed to me and I remember giving a, a bow back. And he didn't smile. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he, he, even though he... Um, he taught the importance of smiling. Um, there was actually, what I saw in his face at that moment was not only um, an expression of reverence, but also an expression of sadness in his eyes. You know? um, and uh, and I, I bow to him for expressing all of that in that moment. And it reminds me of, um, some of the words in um, one of the sutras that we recite, a poem of his. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. And those beautiful lines really sum up the whole heartfelt kind of um, Buddhist approach that he took to life. It's not about reaching some elated sense of nirvana where you never feel sadness anymore um, or you're preoccupied with suffering all the time, but it was a really, a real holistic, humanistic, embodied experience of all of life. You know, the experience of joy and the experience of sadness as well. And sadness, because sadness is so closely associated with empathy. Um, and with compassion as well. So in a theoretical sense, he kept on saying nirvana is samsara. Samsara is nirvana. You can't separate the two. And not only you can't separate the two, but our Dharma practice is about um, relieving the suffering of others. Um, It's very much in the bodhisattva spirit. And again, to quote him, he said, When bombs begin to fall on people, you cannot stay in the meditation hall all of the time. 
Meditation is about the awareness of what is going on, not only in your body and in your feelings, but all around you. Um, And that was the spirit in which he taught and that was the spirit in which he lived his life. Um, So as a way of ending this this, uh, little memorial to him and appreciation of him, I would like us just to sit um, for a minute just in silence and for those of you who may have it in front of you or you know from memory, um, we'll also end by reciting um, that sutra, Please Call Me By My True Names, which is on page 15. So let's just um, sit in silence for a minute and um, Diana will ring the bell for the beginning of the minute and at the end of the minute.
caught in the self-centred dream, only suffering, holding to self-centred thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centred dream, only suffering, holding to self-centred thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centred dream, only suffering, holding to self-centred thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way.